Amen. Good day. Um, If you have Bibles, we are going to be in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 17. My favorite thing about being able to do these services and with kids is um, we spend a lot of our time and our energy, I think, trying to um, control things. And that's especially true maybe of our life with God and maybe even of God. Um, We make him tamer, maybe smaller than he is. And then you get around kids and you're like, well, that's that's ridiculous, actually. Um, You just can't do that. They just won't let you. It's really powerful, I think. For the last um, several days, a couple of days, we've been away um, at Lake Alatoona on our Alpha weekend away. If if you've been here at Trinity, you've heard us talk about Alpha. We're well into Alpha now and almost at the end, and we went away for the weekend. And um, I believe that what happened, what God did um, in that time was incredible. And it actually did, for those of us who were there, become a a kind of thin place. You've heard us use that language before if you've been here at Trinity, and the church has used it for a long time to try to describe what it's like when God comes close in distinct ways. It's like the air gets a little bit thinner or whatever it is that separates us from God gets a little bit thinner and uh, we feel heaven come especially close. And I believe that that's what happened in Lake Alatoona. And I think um, by no coincidence that that's exactly the kind of moment that we're reading about in Matthew 17. What happened on that mountain uh, was, a, was a thin place. Heaven came close um, like in a way that made it feel like some kind of veil was being lifted so that we were able... Like all that space or distance between heaven and our own hearts was just kind of gone for Peter, James, and John. And I think that we have an opportunity to step into places like that. It's not just true for them. But we, get, we get to, to be there. So we're going to read this text and then we're going to pray. And with that in mind, see what God might have for us. Chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overwhelmed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, what a gift it is, Lord, to be in your church, um, to be, Lord, this morning especially reminded of the gifts of grace that come towards us, that you are constant in your pursuit, Lord, of us. Thank you, God. This morning we get to be reminded that you've been at this for a very long time. That your efforts at drawing us to yourself and convincing us, God, that you are with us and for us, it is a very old, old story. An old work. 
and one God that is as true for us now and today as it was for Peter, James, and John, as it was for Moses before them, or that you are here with us, the God of this mountain, this moment. And I pray, Lord, that you would, as we've said, that this would become for us a kind of thin place where all that separates us from you would be made thinner, would, the gap, Lord, would be lessened, that you would fill it with yourself. We bless you now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, Brad mentioned that Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the Lenten season, uh, not just for us here at Trinity, but for the church all over the world. Lent uh, is, of course, a season of, of 40 days to prepare us for Easter, set aside um, by the church in order for um, a kind of preparation period where we get to do some like deep down dealing with our guts, our souls, what's there that shouldn't be there, what's not there that should be there. It's like we're invited to pull all that stuff out and look at it that we spend so much time trying to like, you know, shove down and not look at just to confront it, the things we're afraid of, uncertainty, just put it in full view. I mean, it's a kind of a horrible thing the church invites you to do, you know, basically it's like all the things that you're afraid of and you don't want to see, look at it for 40 days. Why would, why would you do such a thing? And Brad mentioned, if, it's not just, you know, it's not because we're gluttons for punishment. It's not because we just like, you know, torturing ourselves. It, it's because we believe that there's a power at work in that, that that's actually deeply restorative and healing. And then if I can choose to go through something like that, that there's more life and a better kind of life actually on the other side. Lent is not about Lent. Lent is about Easter. Um, if you just had Lent and there was no Easter, it would, it would be nothing. It would, it would be sadistic to do that kind of thing. It's, that's not what it's about. Lent is for something. Every act of deliverance is for something, to get you somewhere. And Lent is the same. There are two stories in the Bible that serve as a kind of framework for how we understand Lent, how we think about it, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. Um, from the Old Testament, of course, it's the story of Israel's time that they spent in the wilderness, not 40 days, but 40 years. After God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, they were on their way to the promised land, this home that God had called them to, a place where they could go from being slaves to actually living like free people, people who had faith in God, people whose, like, their guts were right. They weren't afraid anymore, and they were able to be the people they were, they were called to be. But in that space between here and there, there was this wilderness that they ended up spending 40 years just sort of wandering around in, and it was a time of testing like coming to terms with the hard stuff, their doubts, their faithlessness, all the work that needed to be done. It was uncertain and it was hard. And so the church has basically said that, you know, we'll go through times like that. Lent, yes, is kind of like that. But I suspect that your season of real profound uncertainty and challenge may not perfectly align with the 40 days on your calendar. Uh, it might. But What's more likely is that you're just going to go through an uncertain period of time that you've just got to trust that you're going to get through it. 
And you can either like close your eyes and clench your fist and just wait it out, hope by God's mercy, you make it to the other side. Or what God invites us to do is open our eyes, open our hands and like walk into it like a a person full of life and courage and hope and faith. Um, So that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a similar parallel, a story um, where Jesus leaves uh, this period where he was doing all this ministry. The disciples are really excited about who he is. And then Jesus begins talking about his own death. And there are these weeks where it got really tough for Jesus and the disciples because they were headed to the cross. And, of course, not just to the cross, but on the other side of resurrection. And those weeks were a time, like Israel's time in the wilderness, of, like, testing. It was spiritually really tough. It was emotionally really tough. It was very uncertain. They had no idea what it meant that Jesus might die. How could that possibly make any sense? That they, what could happen? And we look at both of those stories, and we see there are these, you know, surprising similarities between the two of them. That maybe what the Bible is trying to get us to say is that that kind of time, that those moments in life are inevitable. Every person in your life with God will go through something like that. Where the only way to get onto the other side of the life that you are called to, the life that you want with God and inside yourself, is inevitably on the other side of something hard. Maybe even a season of hard. And we're just going to, rather than pretending that that's not true, and that all there ever is is Easter and promised land. The church in her wisdom has said, no, no, no. If all there ever is is Easter and promised land, then you take out all that really important stuff like what happens in the wilderness and what happened on the journey to the cross. It's a part of it. And it's desperately needed. What I love about this moment in the Bible is that both of these stories in this chapter, in chapter 17 in Matthew's Gospel and on this mountain, those two stories converge in a way that I think is brilliant and so powerful and so fun. I know I'm a Bible nerd, but I'll just tell you, I, in studying, there was a couple times in studying for um, this sermon that I clapped in my office alone. Just, that is good. Lord, it is good what you've done. There's just, it's a beautiful story that he's telling, y'all. It's not two stories. It's one story about our life with God. So what I want to do to make sense of what happens on this mountain in Matthew 17 is look back at the first story a little bit and so that we can pull it in to where we are um, in Matthew 17 with Jesus and the disciples. If you have a Bible, you can go to Exodus chapter 33 and 34. If you don't, it's okay. I'll read it to you. I brought my own, I mean business Bible. That's what I call it. Obscenely big. Um, Matthew 33 and 34 is this, uh, tells the story of this threshold moment. Um, like the one that Jesus and the disciples found themselves in in Matthew 17. Before you go into the wilderness, in Lent, you have a threshold moment. The church invites you to Ash Wednesday. And we call you forward and we put the sign of the cross on your forehead and we look at you and we tell you you're going to die. It's beautiful. <laughs> And then we ask you to turn around and with this sign of Jesus on your forehead to walk into the season of Lent, wearing the cross. And the reason that we do that is because there is a threshold moment in your life. There is or will be or has been a time 
when you had to look into real uncertainty, something hard and scary, and choose to step over that threshold moment and walk into it and do it or not do it. Moses found himself at his threshold moment in this chapter, 33 and 34. God has just told him that he's going to have to leave Sinai. Sinai was a resting place after they left Egypt. And they're going to have to get off of Sinai, and now they're going to have to go into the wilderness. He didn't know how long. He didn't know what that was going to look like. He didn't know what might happen. And so he says something so good. In verse 15, he says, If your presence doesn't go, do not carry us up from here. Only in this way will we be distinct from every people on the face of the earth. In other words, yeah, I'm not doing that if you don't go with us. Because if you don't go with us, and unless you go and make sure that we get through this, we're just people wandering around in the woods. We're just a band of ex-slaves out there walking around. Looking for what? Waiting for what? Hoping for what? It's like the worst camping you've ever done, you know? It's like no destination in mind. You're just out there with your backpack. And Moses is looking out into that wilderness and thinking, there's no way I'm stepping into that without you with me. And God says to Moses, I will go. I'll go with you. Of course, I'll go with you. And then Moses gets emboldened because God has, you know, said, all right, well, now since I'm asking for things um, and we're agreeable, I want you to show me your glory. I need, I need proof, in other words. I want to know I want to know that you're going with me. So I, I need you to show me. And God was feeling particularly agreeable, and he says, okay, I will do that as well. And um, here's what he tells Moses this is going to look like. He's on the mountain with him, and he says, See, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So in other words, um, God's glory is going to pass by Moses in some mysterious way. And apparently it packs a lot of heat, and so that Moses, you know, doesn't melt or whatever might happen, God says he's going to put him inside the mountain, hide him there, while the glory of God passes by. And uh, that's what happens. The next morning, Moses gets up, and he goes back up the mountain, And he gets in his spot inside the rock. And once he's there, in a way that we don't know or don't understand, God's hand covers Moses there in the crack of this mountain, and God's glory passes by. And the text tells us that when God's glory passes by, um, God begins to sing. He sings a worship song of Israel's. He says, The Lord, the Lord, abounding in mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I cannot imagine what that was like, but I'm probably pretty cool, you know. (laughs) Here Moses was hidden in the rock, you know, covered by God's hand, and God sings his glory all around him. And when Moses comes down off the mountain, his face is shining like the sun, dazzling white, the text says. And... He's carrying in his arms two stone tablets, a covenant written by God's own hand as a testament 
an assurance that God will be with them and go with them to get them where they're going, to, that they'll make it through. Written and signed with God's own hand. This is the second set of tablets, by the way. We broke the first pair, which is unfortunate. They're like, you know, a small list of things you for sure don't want to break or have to ask for a redo. And I suspect that, you know, the written word of God is probably one of them. And so this is, this is our redo. We've gotten a second set, and Moses is walking down the mountain, and that is his, the promise, the shining face of Moses. Because, you know, he comes down the mountain, and you've got to tell these people, now it's time to go into the wilderness. What are they going to do? Look at your glowing face and say no? No. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, I don't want to do that. But have you seen his face? So I guess I'm better probably going to go with him, I guess. You know? So that's what happens. They go. When we get to Matthew 17, we find ourselves at a very similar threshold moment. And God knows this. So what does he do? He does what he's always done. He calls Jesus and the disciples up on a mountain. And knowing that they are going to need some assurance in order to enter into what they have to step into. God reveals his glory. And this time, he does it through the person of Jesus. What I love about is imagining what this was like, because I don't know what it was like to be a disciple of Jesus in that way, but I suspect it wasn't uncommon to go up on the mountain to pray. You know, it just feels like one of those things you'd probably do with Jesus quite a lot. And I don't know that they had any preparation. They just got up there to pray, and then, you know, he changed. And I promise you that will happen with you in your life with God. Sometimes he'll just change in front of you. You will have been so sure he was one thing. And then something will happen. And he will become in front of you a very different kind of thing. He'll change. And if you're lucky, it will be his glory that you see. More of his goodness, more of who he is. That's what happened to Peter, James, and John. They looked at Jesus, he was, his face was shining, was glowing, and he was dazzling white. And then they heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son, he's the beloved, listen to him. In other words, he's all you need. Here's what I love about these stories. For all their parallels, there are two really important differences, and they're these. When God chose to reveal his glory to Jesus and the disciples on the mountain in Matthew 17, he didn't do it to Jesus. God reveals his glory through Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is in every way greater than Moses. Jesus was himself God and mediator. So Jesus didn't have to get up there and show Peter, James, and John the glory of God as it passed them by. It was in him and through him it came out of him. And when Jesus and James and Peter and John came down the mountain, Jesus wasn't carrying two stone tablets. You want to know why? Because he himself was the covenant. He himself was the promise. On his own heart, in his own life, and on his hands and his feet, God had written with his own hand, this is the way you get through. These are the words of life. This is my son. You listen to him. In him is life. And your life has been hidden in him. Jesus is the way we get through. I do not know what you're on the cusp of, what your threshold might take you into. It's, for every person in this room, it's a different thing. For all of us, I've got my own. 
Some of you, though, need to make a faith commitment. Some of you know that you're being pursued by Jesus. I know you do. I talk to you. Some of you know that's where you are. It's just that it's impossible for you to imagine your life as a Christian. What would that even be? And I also know what that's like. I've been there, pursued by God and believing in Jesus, but impossible to imagine how I could live my life like as a Christian. You need to know that all of the answers to those questions are in Jesus. You don't have to answer them. You just say yes, and you trust him to get you through it. And the same is true for cancer, and the same is true for every major life decision that you know that you have to make and can't imagine how you get on the other side of it. We all get through the same way. We get through in Jesus. That's how we get through. Paul said in Colossians 3.3, You have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Here's what I love. I believe that because of the parallels of these two two stories together, that there's an invitation to imagine Jesus being there in some capacity, in some way he had to be there. It's a trinity after all, with Moses on that mountain. And so when Paul says that thing in Colossians 3.3 and we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be hidden in Christ? What does that mean? I don't know, but I can tell you that when I imagine Moses like in that crack, you know, in the mountain, hiding out in that, in that crack, and the hand of God over him, and the glory of God passing by, I, what the Bible is trying to say to me is that's what my life in Jesus is like. He's the place, like the safe place. I go, I put my life in him. And if I can put my life in him, then the goodness of God All that can pass by me is God's glory. I'm surrounded by the protection of God and the glory of God. By God who just sings over my life. The Lord, the Lord, he is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's my life. I move through it that way. I don't have to leave Jesus on the mountain. He goes with me. And that is true for you. Whatever you're having to step into, whatever's next... You don't go into it by yourself. You are surrounded and held. The psalmist says, hemmed in behind and before with your hand placed on me. You are surrounded by God who loves you, who built the world, and he can build your life and your future. He's a safe place. Jesus went into the wilderness fully alive, at peace. And that gives me hope because I get to step into my wilderness that way. I get to step into it like Moses. My face may not literally glow. But my prayer before God is that when I have to step into the hard thing that is inevitably coming for me, that it will be like my face glows. That people will look at me and know that I've been with Jesus in such a way that allows me to move into it with peace. My favorite hymn, one of my favorite hymns, called Rock of Ages. I'm this close to singing it for you, but I will restrain myself. The hymn says, Rock of Ages of Jesus. You're the rock of ages. You are cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. 
and when my eyes shall close in death. And I have to soar to worlds unknown and see you on your throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. You get through your whole life that way, not just your death. You get through everything that way. In Jesus, you have died and your life is hidden with him. And he's good and safe. Amen. Stand together if we're able. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ-likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.